Awesome. Love that every single time. Welcome to the Sober Heathen Podcast. I am Scott. I'm sober. I'm a heathen. I am the Sober Heathen. And this is day three of podcast interviews, man. This is, if I could get paid to do this, it'd be a dream come true, but it's not about the money. It's about the message. Um, Today, a very special uh, guest. Uh, It is family, my sister. I'll let her uh, tell tell you what she does, but uh, this is uh, I think this is an important interview to have because there are always two sides to every single story, and when you're a raging alcoholic like I was, and you wake up so many times in your life in the ER, you don't know how you got there. You're freaking out. You don't want to be there. You just want to get back to the uh, the substance. And then there's people that have to deal with your stupid ass, and um, she's one of them dealing with stupid asses like myself um and uh i i want her to tell her story but you know um i, I we we, we got to hear what's going on on both sides so I, i'm really excited to have this conversation so amanda welcome thank you for coming on what do you do for a living amanda um i am an emergency nurse room nurse uh i've been a nurse for five years in the year all of it so and right now i do tr- local travel in michigan so awesome ones, yeah well, we we hear it a lot for uh, veterans and, and 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 folks in the um, in the uh, police field. But thank you for your service. Without you, um, honestly, without people like you, I could po- potentially be dead. And I, I mean, it it sounds kind of silly to say, but it's the truth. Without people like you, so we were having uh, before we got started, we were having some conversations. Um, one thing I'd ask you, you know, in, in treatment, I don't remember the numbers, but. They talk about how emergency rooms are always full, and majority of the people in there have some sort of addiction-related reason to be there. Is that correct? I would say that's correct. Yeah. So we were also talking about. So we got all these people in the ER. You were telling me about how many people are you responsible for at a time when you're on, on a shift? Um, it just depends. Uh, at some of the local ones that I've been at recently, um, it's an eight to one ratio. Um, other ones are typically three or four or five is is good. But yeah, I'm, I've been dealing with eight to one ratio for over a year now. And I will say that I, out of those, I will have usually a couple overdoses, one alcohol withdrawal, and then I will have some traumas on top of it or people that have went into cardiac arrest or respiratory arrest. Um, so our teams are very heavy, but so we all have our patients that obviously need like emergency help right now. And then our overdoses kind of come in and they will, will do what we need to do. And then because our trauma rooms are all busy, they come out into a hallway where we'll put them on a monitor and watch them there. But as I said, I have eight patients, so everything is very backed up. Um, and then usually our alcohol withdrawal, we're, you know, going through DT. So you have. The, the constant Ativan or um, Valium that you need to give or Phenobarb mm-hmm. or things like that. Those, yeah, those, he- hearing those names make my, my team to look like that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All hearing those, time. hearing Valium and Ativan, hearing those names are just ugh, yeah. terrible memories. Um, so yeah. Talk about the, the DTs. I mean, uh, alcohol is one of the worst drugs, if not the worst to come off from uh, it. It's, it's awful to watch. It's, it's literally awful. Um, I'm definitely, I learned in my earlier years that you, I, watching people go through it, that is something that 
I make sure that I stay on top of because I don't want you to get to the point where you're actually seizing or, you know, um, seizing so long that when we end up having to incubate because you can't manage your own airway. Hmm. I do see that a lot um, where people end up to be on a ventilator um, and go to the ICU. Um, and with COVID, we actually hold a lot of these patients. So it won't be uncommon for me for 12 hours, making sure I'm in that room every hour to give the medication that I need to. And even sometimes more meds on top of it, because there's still inactive like DTs where they're going to seize or just totally ripping out IVs and things like that, which <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, the nasty gritty stuff of that. But yeah, it is, um, it's very hard to watch. And obviously I have you know, not just you, but a lot of our family um, drinks all the time. And a lot of them are too scared to even try to give it up. Um, This is, I'll just share this recent story of one of our family members who is actively, do you know, do you know about our recent family member that is actively? Okay. So one of our uncles, Uncle Kurt, he actually recently had this um, happen to him. Um, My aunt found him seething and she thought he wasn't breathing. And he had been drinking a lot and increasing his like numbers of drinks just because he was dealing with probably hard stuff um, and then tried to cut back. And he went with like, I think four hours without and then ended up going into a seizure. Um, And he had like a couple and then finally they got him to the ER and he, his blood pressure dropped and he was looking very bad where they thought they might have to do um, like intubation and serious um, measures for him. Um, and then he stayed in the ICU for a while and he has been actively not drinking for the last several weeks. And so that is, you know, them give, giving me that call. I'm like, I know I've, I've been there. I've watched a lot of people go through that. And it's, it's one of the worst things to watch, especially being someone that you love. So, right. yeah. And a lot of our family it's it's hard because I know both spectrums because I wash it at home or I wash it at home growing up. And then I'm like, sure. you know, like to get other people to come and do that. And like, I, I get it. It's very hard process. It's awful to go through. Right. And I'm the one taking care of you, but I can't <laughs> imagine being on that bed, having to go through that, you know? Uh, well, I, I to deal with it. I mean, well, it's really good news to hear that Kurt is doing well now, but though this was yeah. something traumatic that it may change the course um it, it sucks that it has to get to that point um i mean one of the things that helped push me back into treatment was waking up with a tube down my throat not having a clue of how i got there right. i i was the asshole that freaked out and ripped the strap from the bed it's like i didn't I, it had to have been ripped because I, I I'm not I'm no tough guy or whatever. But I I know the the nurse was like he ripped the strap and then the guy came in and they strapped me back down. You know I just that's yeah. terrible. I, I'm sorry to hear that about him, but I, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's it's you know the ship is turning in a in a different direction. Yeah. I definitely think it was very eye opening for them because I can talk to people till they're blue in the face all the day and they're just like, oh, she's making it up. She's over exaggerating because they don't see it every day like I do when I go to work. Um, so yeah, it's kind of crazy for them to go through that because a lot of the times they're like, oh, you know, it's not really a big deal. I'm like, it's not a big deal until you try to make a difference of it and then. But yeah, yeah, that's the scary part for everybody, even like other addictions, you know, like going into overdoses or withdrawing from them. It's yeah, you know, you, it, it's when you're drinking heavy every single day and you just go cold turkey, there is a lot of danger to that. And 
people, there's so many factors to this thing that people just don't understand. I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 this is not about me. I, it's just, I, I, this is, I think this is just such a cool conversation because I'm the person on the bed and you're the person taking care of me. You know what I mean? I mean, this, I think this is really interesting. I mean, I got Norcan one time because of the meds that I was on. They thought that I was on, um, help me out here. John like Benzos. A, a benzos. A benzos. Yeah. 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 Because I, I tested positive for benzos because the prescription meds that I was randomly taking in between drunken stupors. Uh, yeah. I tested positive for benzos. So they Narcan me when I wasn't breathing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Geez. I mean, I don't feel like that's uncommon, especially if you get picked up out in the field, you know, like by EMS or paramedics. Yeah. We always say it's not going to hurt you if you get it. So if it helps, we give it to you. <laughs> sure. Right. Well, so, uh, okay. So for you, how do you deal with how maybe, cause you, you, you're traveling a lot. So maybe it's, it doesn't affect you. I know one time, the the EMTs were coming up the uh, the stairs up into the bedroom, and uh, I heard one of them as I was sitting there. Uh, my blood pressure was like when I got to the hospital it was eighty over sixty, but it was lower than that when they got here. I don't remember the number. And uh, he's like, "Yeah, we've been out here to this guy's house several times." You know what I mean? And he wasn't being a dick, uh, you know, but you could hear the frustration in his voice. You know, how do you? I mean, it's it. it how much of a challenge is it to be like, dude, for real, you're back again? Seriously? Um, even even in my travel contracts, they're 13 weeks, and I will know all the regulars by the time I'm gone. Oh. Not only do I see them once or twice a day, I mean, sometimes it's more than twice a day that people come in for oh, overdoses. Okay. Um, so it can be very frustrating, but... I feel like, like I said, I have a lot of family background where I feel almost sympathetic or empathetic towards patients like this because I know exactly what they're kind of going through. I don't personally because I haven't dealt with that, but I don't want to always just write them off. Now, (laughs) I can't say that I'm always happy when everything gets ripped out and you run out of the ER and I have to go get you before you run into traffic or anything. I I don't (laughs) think that I... You know, really enjoy that thoroughly. But I mean, I also know, I think a big thing too, is I always remind myself, I I didn't sign up for this, but I did. I kind of know that this is a part of emergency nursing, you know, all across the board. Was I more excited about probably resuscitating people doing that drama stuff? Yes. But um, I've learned that ER's mass majority of the time is not that. I mean, you get a lot of, it depends on where you're at, but you get a lot of behavioral health and um, obviously people that are struggling with all sorts of addictions. So um, we're like kind of the first person that you come to or not that you want to come there, but someone yeah. brings you here because you need us. So yeah, um, you're I, in, I learned you're very quickly that that is kind of a part of the field that I have to learn and grow with and be okay with because I don't know, it's obviously it's very hard for everyone to fight this. So I can't just expect you to stop showing up, you know, and that you changed your life around yesterday because I told you, you should, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're not going to change when it comes to addiction until you're ready to change or you want to change. And I, I, when you say try to stop you from running out into traffic that, you know, it sounds funny to a listener that hasn't been through it. I left the ER in the middle of the winter and nothing but a gown and socks because yeah. I I didn't want to be there. I checked myself out and I was going to walk home 
and go back to drinking. And the security guard followed me through the parking lot. I was like going up to people that were leaving the the freaking ER, like, hey, you know, can I get a ride? That's not me. That is not me. I'm I am I am not that outgoing to, to random people asking for rides. I, I don't ask loved ones for rides because I feel bad imposing on them. But I wanted to get back to drink so bad. And this guard was following me. I found out later that he was following me that once I stepped foot off the property, he was going to call the cops. I found yeah. that later. Luckily, it was cold and I turned around and I checked myself back in. So I just, so, and I'm jumping around here, but this is just so awesome to have this conversation. So there's obviously, there's going to be like, there's an information gap. You guys can learn all this stuff. You know what I mean? Um, But man, it's just... I don't know where I'm going here. <laughs> I, I, I have so many thoughts uh, trickling through. It, there needs to be education, you know, from you guys on the medical side for us. So we understand how it's destroying our body. You know what I mean? And to yeah. to see the, you use the word regulars, you know what I mean? That's a, that's a term yeah, that we use. <laughs> no, it's not terrible. It's, it's, tr- it's real. It's a real word. We're regulars in the bar and we're regulars to the freaking ER. You know I mean? Like all oh, here comes, you know, Jimmy again, you didn't get into this, you know, you, you got in this to help people. I get that. Just like a teacher doesn't get into it. And, and then little Jimmy comes in and he's throwing, uh, throwing turds at the, at the chalkboard or whatever well, chalkboard, Jesus, how old, old am I? 86. <laughs> But you know you you don't think about the the really crappy part, and it sucks because you're you're getting in this to help people, and the majority of the people are people who, to a lot of people, appear they don't care about themselves, they don't care about anything, they're completely selfish. Which addiction is a selfish disease? Um, we just can't stop until until we make the decision that we're ready to stop, and that takes forever. So, I think like. Um, I just had a professionalism training and it was talking about if you're a recovery coach and I want to talk about that a little bit too. If you're a recovery coach in like a hospital or ER and you overhear a nurse who's frustrated, just like these people don't want to change, screw them. You know, why, why are we even wasting our time with these people or whatever? And and we had to talk about how we'd handle that situation. I don't blame your colleagues for thinking that way. You know, I really don't. I mean, it's it it has to be extremely frustrating <laughs> because you, you might have a little kid with a fever or something and you just want to go help this cute little little kid but i'm over here like dry heaving and and you know shaking uncontrollably and you're trying to find a vein but my veins are shriveled because i'm dehydrated i mean i i don't know i i'm just talking now and that's not what i wanted to do but man i, I don't know any thoughts on on my ramblings no i i get what you're saying you're trying to figure out like like, what would you say to a nurse if you were there as a recovery coach? Or, you know, like, what 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 could we do to help you guys better? I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's, I feel like the second question is something that everyone's been trying for a long time to figure out. Well, the, I, I don't think I don't think a nurse, even with all the education and, and all the knowledge that you guys have of the body and how to treat things, the best way, the best the information that got to me the best was from somebody who's been through that, the addiction side of it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've even worked with nurses that, um, I don't know, we're in the military before and we're like alcoholics and 
finally got sober and I mean some of them have been nurses through it whatever um but other people like one specifically that I'm thinking of he's been a nurse for like 30 years but um he was in a war was an alcoholic came back from Germany finally got his life turned around you know um and he's even sat down with some of these people I mean like really taking his time and he doesn't really do that with a lot of people but this is usually where he likes to um and you know and even sometimes like he's like maybe this will help this time. And I mean, he does, he spends his time trying to, you know, help. And sometimes it does help. And sometimes they want the resources and then other times they still walk out like before. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, definitely if we had more recovery coaches in the ER, that would be nice. But I mean, yeah, I right now and in, in where I'm at, I would, I would come and sit and talk to people, you know, for free all day long. Like I would sit there until I needed to go sleep just because it's the message of hope needs to be there because the biggest problem with me sitting in there was, yeah, you're telling me all this, but there's, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can quit. There's no way that I can not drink. I, that's the only way I can function. And it's such a stupid way of thinking, but that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. Which I feel like all the addictions, you know, whether it's drug or alcohol for sure. Yeah. Either way. Be yeah. like even smoking cigarettes sometimes or eating sugar, you know, those addictions. Like, yeah, I can't enjoy a meal without have that smoke afterwards. Come on. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's terrible. So you talked about COVID. Well, I know you, you don't have many days off, so we won't keep you forever, but you talked about COVID um, a couple of years ago. Um, did you see a spike in, in people with addiction on that or no? Or was it pretty, um, pretty much the same? I feel like it's terrible because that's when I started traveling. So I don't, I guess I would say personally behavioral health. Yes. Like mental health. Um, And I think a lot of mental health can be started or triggered from some sort of addiction, right? Like like schizophrenia and stuff. Um, We see a lot of that, you know, or acute psychosis related to some kind of drug that someone was taking. Um, So we do see a lot, we see like a lot of that. Um, And I would say, I guess mental health was like the biggest thing, but um, then I went to bigger cities and I know that our ERs are a lot fuller than they ever used to be. And they still are kind of seeing those high numbers. Um, And we are, we run out of room for behavioral health and a lot of them are, you know, they go not together, but a lot of them are there for two reasons because a, B, and C, and use it to commit suicide or something like that. So there's definitely a huge spike in that. So I guess you could probably, I would probably say, yeah, a spike in all addictions with it on top of it because, you know, people lost jobs, people weren't working, or, you know, people lost a ton of loved ones on top of it. So their way of coping was with different things, you know? Yeah, sure. So do you, do you have, do you have people like family members when somebody comes in, they've overdosed? Do you, have you ever had friends or family come to you and, and say, you know, what can we do? Like, what do we? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and your response is probably, well, we'll, we can treat the symptoms, but. A lot of times. Yeah. Um. So the heart, I know a lot of hospitalists too, in the bigger cities I've been in, like, they'll just be straight up like, do you, are you, do you want help? Because I will, like, I want to help you if you want help, but if you are going to go back and drink, like they offer them stuff to be like, like sometimes our pharmacies carry like alcohol in hospitals because they're like, there's no sense of you going through all these DTs if you're going to just go back out and drink again. And 
it's crazy. I never even knew that people would do that until I got to the bigger cities and started. So they, they offer them alcohol? There's like a drink that you can get in the pharmacies. Yeah. If they're wow. like, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to save their life. I mean, it, it sounds insane to, to offer something like that, but. Because a lot of people just sometimes will refuse treatment and all. And then once they seize or, you know, go unconscious, then you just, oh, well, now they need our help because they can't say whether they, you know. So, wow, what a what a double-edged sword. You know I, what I mean? That's crazy, right? I know. I did not know that until I got to the bigger city. <laughs> like, it's like, because, so you do that, so do uh, people have to be like, I don't have any money. I'm going to go to the ER and... See, and I, I don't, I think it's more of like once you finally get admitted that sometimes they'll do that, but I, okay. I personally have never gave it. I just have sure. heard the hospital say it. So I okay okay well I mean I I don't know why they offer it if it's not there kind of thing but I've not personally ever gave that that's so. that's crazy but I I think I hopefully somebody's listening to this and is like wow like I mean that's an option because it it'll save lives you know it, yeah we have to give out Narcan with every single patient now too that's like a wow. big thing um if you come there for an overdose like we have to send you home with it. Dude, and that's saving lives. I can tell you that for sure, because being in treatment for almost an entire year last year, the stories that I've heard of of people that have Narcan on them, you know, and vehicles and apartments, they've saved their their partners or friends' lives because you guys have supplied with Narcan. I've seen so many kids, too, with overdoses, like babies, because they've accidentally mm. ingested stuff. And I think that's been probably, like, the hardest part. Yeah. A lot of times, um, that was even up when I was in like the middle of Michigan. I had a lot of that. Wow. Yeah, and I always think that's just so crazy. But yeah, that's why we are like forced to send home Narcan with any kind of situation. Oh, that's that's one thing that I that's a, a good use of of money to do that. I I know it's saving people's lives. So at yeah. least we got that going for us. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you taking the time. Um. Uh, just having conversations like this is extremely vital and work together, you know, um, no one single entity or person has all the answers. It's, it's going to be a combined effort no matter where you go. And uh, I, I think being able to talk to somebody that's in the thick of it on your end. And you know what? I, I thank the gods that you're not struggling with this family disease that we have. I stayed away from it. I mean, not that I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, well, sometimes. I didn't want to deal with all that, but not saying that that's the easiest thing to do, you know, just say, no. Oh, I don't want to do, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Well, I'm up, glad, you know, I'm like, glad we could be an example for you to help keep you away from the shit show that <laughs> is alcoholism. So yeah, that's another, we'll take that as a, as a, as a win for, for this learning process that we've been going through. So, well, I hope, uh, I hope sis, that we can stay in contact and maybe we can, uh, we can do this again sometime. My, my plan for the show is at some point have a panel of a bunch of alcoholics and addicts, and we just have an open discussion. Uh, maybe I could work it where get yourself and one other Somebody from the we're gonna we're gonna save the world is what we're gonna do with the sober heathen podcast. We're gonna save the freaking world. We're gonna work together, uh, and if it comes down to it, we save one life. So be it. So, um, I thank you for everything that you do. Um, 
and uh, I'm proud of you. And um, you too. Well, thank you. I, you know what? For the first time in a long time, I'm I'm taking some pride in myself. Um, yeah. I can look myself in the mirror today. So, uh, bottom line is that this is not always a choice for people. Um, people aren't waking up in the morning looking to use a substance and end up in the ER and be dicks to people like you. That's, that's not how we wake up in the morning and that's not the decision that we make. Um, we're, we're terrified when we get into the ER, um, we're miserable. A lot of people always say like, or a lot of patients always say, I, I don't want to be here and waste your time. I don't want to waste your resources. You know, that's like the biggest thing they say. And I'm like, you're not. Like I'm, I'm here to help you. This is my job. I don't, I don't care what you're here for. Like I'm here to help you. Yeah. So and like if you're here to have a heart attack, I'm here to help you. That's, yeah. that's my biggest motto of it all. Because a lot of times patients are like, I'm wasting your time. I don't need to be here. And I'm like, well, you're here. So let's, let's help with what we can while you're here, you know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, don't ever that's... feel like you're wasting our time. Even if you get that care and nurse that thinks you are wasting your time. Yeah, I, well, do, I deal with her too. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? That's exactly how it goes too. Because you you get in there and you start to get your faculties about you. You get some good meds in there. And you're starting to to level out a little bit, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is embarrassing." There are, you know, there are sick kids, and there's there's all these things. And in in mental health, you know, you'll take everything that you can to beat the living shit out of yourself. You know what I mean? So I mean, like I said. Your job is not an easy one, and, and and we need more people like you in there. So keep fighting the good fight, and uh, we'll get together again on this, and, and we'll talk about it more. So Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Thanks Amanda. Heck yeah. All right. Well, you have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye.